All right, it is that time for a somewhat more analytical look at the week's top news stories with the Powerhouse Roundtable. And a little fun to go with it. We've got a great one, so let's do some introductions first. We are happy to welcome for the first time Raquel Rodriguez, Rocky to her friends. She is a government relations attorney with McDonald Hopkins and was general counsel to former Governor Jeb Bush. Marlon Hill is an attorney with the Hamilton Miller and Bertha Cell Firm, a past president of the Caribbean Bar Association as well. And H.T. Smith is a veteran Miami attorney, a civil rights leader, and a <coughs> law professor. A lot of legal advice at this table right now. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Thanks Good morning. for being with us Generally, this would be charging $600 an hour or something, <laughs> but here they are pro bono. Send us a bill. So, Rocky, wage. Rocky Rodriguez, great to have you join us. Please, As somebody Michael. who spent years advising Jeb Bush and knows the government process, knows the job of governor, uh, here you've just heard Ron DeSantis who said, well, gee, I was involved in a fierce campaign. Now I'm thinking about governing, and he is working at it. And it seems like this moderated his kind of aggressive stance, and it's more appealing. Um, I, I think he has uh, exceeded, done very, very well in pivoting from being a campaign warrior mm -hmm. in a very two very hard-fought contests, both the primary and the general, mm -hmm. to now governing. And I think he's being very thoughtful about being inclusive, bringing in people that opposed him in the primary, people who opposed him in the general, reaching across party uh, people lines. People who have been personally critical. Yes. He has set that aside and said, let's go ahead and let's just get things done. Yeah. Richard I'm, Corcoran, who may be, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, his uh, secretary of education, had mm -hmm. been extremely critical of him. No, no doubt about it. And I think that this bodes well because I think it shows that he is open to different ideas. He's open to people who uh, may have uh, different sets of skills than perhaps the ones that, that he brings and, um, and, and ideas. So I, I think that he's off to a really strong start. And I have to say that in terms of diversity, both uh, from the political uh, diversity of different strains of republicanism, Democrat, Republican, and also uh, ethnic and gender diversity. I think he's off to a great start. You know, it's really interesting as we watch this video of the governor-elect, well, we did see the video, next to President Trump this week. Marlon, uh, President Trump was, and the governor-elect will tell you this, so instrumental in the primary of putting him sort of in front of the nation. Um, but he's been sort of very tempered about his relationship with the president now, saying flat out, listen, it's great to have the president as a, as a comrade because we're going to be able to have him get his ear, get the finances that we need. But, um, but Ron DeSantis has not really promoted his Trump ties lately. He has balanced his relationship with President Trump very well. Um, yeah. He did that very well during the recount. Um, was very in how he conducted himself. He stayed out of the fray. Um, and the president is a citizen of his, right? He's coming here for True. a 16-day vacation in um, in a couple in a couple weeks. Um, so you know he has to recognize that relationship. He understands the benefit of the connection to the White House, but he still has to run one of the most dynamic. Um, most popular states in the union. He has a lot on his plate, and I do agree with Rocky. Um, he is going to need, remember now, he only won by 30,000 votes, right? So he's going to he really have- He counted 30,000 votes. Right, yeah. absolutely. So he's, he's moderating his republicanism yeah. of how he wants to put his footprint on the political landscape is going to be key for him going through the door yeah. on January. H.T. Smith, I have to say to you, uh, picking up on Rocky's comment about diversity and on these advisory committees, there are 
black people, white people, Hispanics, I mean, it, men, women, it, it's nice. But when it comes to the judiciary, uh, State Senator Perry Thurston of Fort Lauderdale held a news conference this week in which he said the names going up to the governor for judicial uh, appointments are basically just white men, and the governor is now going to appoint three new members of the state Supreme Court. Yes. Well, first of all, let me join Rocky and Marlon in saying that the governor-elect is off to a good start in terms of what he's saying. I'm a guy who really looks at what he's doing. And so with regard to the appointment of a, a Democrat and appointment of diversity, that's a good start. However, with regard to diversity on the bench, we have really had eight year, uh, barren years. I was just telling Rocky how pleased I was as Governor Rick Scott went out. He appointed an African-American to the 3rd District Court of Appeal. Right. The first time in 12 years that an African-American has been on the appellate court in this area. So that's encouraging. And we've got to continue to encourage Governor DeSantis to reach out and be inclusive of everyone. Let me tell you what worries me. Uh, he has 22 advisors to date. Uh, almost all of them are 600, 500, $400,000 investors in his campaign. So you ask, are they there to advise him for what's benefit of all the people or to get the best return on the investment? Well, it's, we'll it's, see. It's worth looking at their qualifications as Abs well. Absolutely. And just kind of add a note with regards to the judicial appointments. I do expect Governor DeSantis to ask the GNC, which is the Judicial Nominating Commission, to reopen a process possibly to get more candidates. There's going to be a call for that. I, I was going to ask you about that yeah. because the, the governor picks from the list. He's handed a list. By I don't think the, he's. I, I'm, I'm hearing, and you know, in terms of our interaction with the bar associations, that he's not pleased with the list. Um, we hope that he would reopen the list because they're very much a great list of candidates who are African-American throughout the state, actually, Is that who doable? deserve a look. Do you, can you do that? Yeah, let me, let me jump in here. Um, first of all, um, I have to say it's the first time I think H.T. Smith's ever been to my right. <laughs> but, but we do agree, oh, we do agree on, on this, and that is um, the appointment of Judge Eric Hendon to the 3rd District Court of Appeal. I've known Judge Hendon for many years. I was involved when Governor Bush reappointed him to the county court, and I was on the nominating commission mm. that nominated him to, the govern to Governor Scott. And um, I think he and Judge Bronwyn Miller, who also was appointed, are, are wonderful additions to the court. To answer your question, Glenna, um, a governor can ask the JNC to send up more nominees, but the JNC is not required to do that. That was established uh, by an appellate decision when Governor Christ had uh, asked another judicial nominating commission to send him names. And um, if they, they're constitutional officers in their own right, they're set up that way to be independent of the governor once they are a body, and it's, it's up to them to do it. Um, I am familiar with the names that were sent up, and um, I can tell you that the, the names that were sent up are extremely qualified people, and uh, there is diversity. diversity? Yes, mean, look, there's, uh, quite a, there's uh, several women. There's uh, at least three Hispanic Americans. There's one Asian American judge. Um, and yes, I think we would all prefer more diversity, but these are hard choices. And I, I know that the JNCs work very hard to do the best yeah. they can sure. and to give the governor choices. Let's hold it right there for a second, take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the roundtable, and we were talking about judicial diversity, and H.T. Smith, you wanted to yeah. sort of put a little wrapper on this. Yeah, just as was said, the governor can only appoint 
from the people that are sent to them from the judicial nominating commissions. But the tone of the governor can make a big difference as to who they send. Mm -hmm. A best example of that was Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush made it known that he was sincerely interested in appointing diversity. And he has never gotten the credit that he deserves uh, for his appointments. Uh, he, uh, uh, Lawton Childs was my governor. Jeb Bush did an even better job than Lawton Childs in terms of filling our bench. So if Ron DeSantis makes it known, I want diversity, tell the Judicial Nominating Committee commissions will deliver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Couldn't yeah. agree more. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's turn our attention, if we can, now to Amendment 4. We just heard Ron DeSantis say that, yes, it's the will of the people, but Marlon, he started making these exceptions and saying the legislature has to get in and implement it. Uh, the people who wrote Amendment 4 say it's self-executing, doesn't need to be implemented. Doesn't need to be implemented. It's it's ready to go. Um, in fact, take some um, advice from HT. The tone that the governor sets in terms of what he wants to do and accomplish says a lot in very few words. Right? He could simply say, "Listen, it's the will of the people. January 8th, we're going to instruct my Secretary of State to make um, any amendments to the voter registration application that's necessary, and folks who believe that they can apply and will affirm when they sign that application right. should be able to do that on but January 8th. The Secretary of State, Ken Benzer, oh, oh, I have not spoken to him personally, but I've seen him quoted in different news reports having questions. He, he's one of the people saying, I'm getting calls from my supervisors around the counties. They don't know what to do. And my question is, how, how hard is it to register someone to vote? As we have to be honest about right. who we are, me, are, are the rules any different for let, them? Let me let me jump in. Um, I, I think that it's important to note that the that look at the whole language of that amendment. Yeah. And as the gov governor-elect said, uh, it's a limited class of ex-felons who are now being eligible, made eligible to vote. They could not have been convicted of murder. They could not have been convicted of sexual offenses. And they have to have fulfilled all aspects of their sentence, including yeah. payment of fines and penalties. Yeah. So how do you uh, address that in the registration process? You've got to have a process in place. I like what Marlon said about having the Department of State Division of Elections provide some kind of language to the supervisors that a, a prospective voter can fill out because God knows most people um, may be confused or forget that maybe they still have a penalty that mm -hmm. they have to pay and you don't want them swearing to something that's not true and, that and creating more it, problems right. for themselves. It's a felony to swear that you are eligible to vote and not be eligible to vote. But uh, the larger issue here, HT, is that there are roughly 1.4 million former felons in the state of Florida and for the last eight years getting their rights restored has been just, you know, the hardest thing possible. Well, these laws were passed after Reconstruction for the specific purpose of keeping a segment of the population from voting. That's number one. Number two, it was the intent of the, of the people that put this forward for it to be self-executing on January 8th. Number three, this has real-world consequences. It's supposed to go into effect January 8th. The legislature doesn't meet to March, to March right. and it, they don't take up things like this till the right. end of the term, and the people over the committees it has to go before oppose it. There's an election for mayor of Tampa An election in, in, an election in, in Miramar. In, in, in Miramar, Miramar right? yeah. et cetera. Right. So this has real-world consequences. So this is a constitutional amendment. So we filed, filed a constitutional amendment, freedom of the press. Whoa, whoa, we need implementation. Can Glenna say this? Can, can we do that? No, you don't need that. 
they have the same rights that we have in terms of if they make them, if they lie, just like if anybody else who's not uh, a convicted felon lie, they pay the consequences of it. You know, Governor DeSantis needs to really clarify this issue very quickly over the holidays, right? Because we don't want to be heading into the court system um, in January. And then remember, no, you have to also register for the election 30 days before the election starts. So that's going to be February 15th for the elections that are held in March. What about all these returning citizens, which I prefer to call them, by the way? Um, not having an issue to be able to participate and have a voice in their local elections. We can't have that. Can, can I jump in on, sure, on something uh, that, that HT said? Um, the, the felon voting barrier dates back to Florida's first constitution when it was a territory and then became a state and continued on through Reconstruction. This was not something that was invented subsequent to Reconstruction. We obviously now are in a different place where we as citizens have decided that we want um, people who've paid their debt to society to vote. But um, this is something that has to be done carefully. It should not be slow walked, um, and it, but it should be done prom promptly and carefully. I don't agree that the amendment is self-executing for the reasons that we discussed earlier. And I think that it is important perhaps to move more quickly, perhaps call a special session if legislation is needed. I think there are things that the governor and the legislative leaders can do to accomplish both objectives and work together in a transparent way one to make this work. 1.4 million people have waited long enough. And I think whatever needs to be done can be done at the administrative level. It doesn't take the legislature or the governor. Time out on the round table. All right. One more commercial break. We'll be right back. This week in Tallahassee was one of the final meetings of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission before their report comes out. The preliminary report has just some stunning failures on so many levels. And a couple of things that have uh, really hit the headlines, Marlon, is the fact that uh, Sheriff Galtieri, who is the uh, commission chairman, mm -hmm. is really advocating for the program to arm teachers, train and arm teachers to have guns in the classroom if the districts want it, if the teachers are trained. Yeah. There, there is, give, you work with schools, that's why well, I wanted to ask I you. Do, I, do I mean, you could really argue the positives of that and the negatives of that. One personal, I'm a husband, I'm a former teacher, and yeah. also we do a lot of work with the middle school in Brownsville, um, near to Liberty City in Miami as well. I believe that teachers really shouldn't be burdened with this liability of responsibility. Um, and it may be just a local issue based on what part of the state they may have a, a comfort level with this type of um, um, guidance that they will get from the commission. But Well, that's a good point because ur urban, large urban school districts generally probably won't. But look what happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in Broward County. In an, in an urban district. It creates more liability issues, I think, for the school system in terms of ensuring that the teachers are properly trained. And if they're not, then what happens? Yeah, if I may, I want to hold up a, uh, the editorial page from today's Sun Sentinel. And if you can read it, the headline says, guns in classrooms are not the answer. And let's put up on the screen here part of what the editorial says, arming teachers is eyewash an utterly unacceptable alternative to the many other steps, however more expensive, that would keep our schools safer without degrading the learning environment. Students shouldn't be expected to learn under the tutelage of teachers bearing weapons. That's uh, very declarative, straightforward stuff, Rocky. I mean, what do you think? 
Well, I have mixed feelings about the issue of arming teachers for all the, the reasons uh, that have been said. Um, although I, I would worry more about protecting students than the liability issues that the schools face. But I think that there's a lot of other steps that, that ought to be taken, such as having competent, trained security personnel at the right. schools, hardening the schools, making it um, easier to, to exclude people, uh, do proper training, maybe harden some areas. Now, if, if you were to arm, arm um, schools, school teachers, I think that there may be um, different ways in which to accomplish it rather than having them carry a weapon on them. Maybe you have a, an armory that's under lock and key that they can access in an emergency you know, if need of, be all, to mitigate those, risk. I don't mean to interrupt you, but all of those things are, are uh, in the report. The report yeah. goes into hardening schools. But, but when you look at the timing of what happened in Parkland, there was more than a minute, I mean, where there was no one to protect those kids, even though there was, you know, Coach, Coach Aaron Feist walked in. You know. Yeah, so in that one minute, there was nobody there to protect the kids. But that would fix but, this. But gun, guns in the schools, I think that's a very, very bad idea. So at MSD, we had 17 dead. We sometimes forget about the 17 wounded, and we definitely always remember the dozens and dozens who are scarred for life psychologically and right. emotionally. Of course. After this right. incident, if you all remember, there was another incident where the police rushed to the school and got shot. You had an incident where police have shot the wrong person. Right. And so they're trained. These are people who are trained technically to do this. This is a very, very uh, a rabbit hole that we're going down with regard to that. Yeah. And yet, the, Michael, yet the elephant in the room is common sense gun legislation. What about universal background checks? Yeah. What about the magazines that hold 30 bullets? And what about assault rifles? Well, We've got to deal with but that. But HD, besides those common sense um, gun reforms that we all want, parents want to know, are you going to keep my kids safe? That's, that's the dilemma that we have yeah. right now. Well, I, I think the point, actually, that Rocky was alluding to also needs mentioning, and that was that Nicholas Cruz, the shooter at Marjorie Sloman Douglas, had more than 67 or so violent incidents over the previous 10, 12 years wow. when he was involved in the school system, and he still never got the attention, the treatment that he needed, and then there were multiple failures by the FBI, by BSO, by... Well, Superintendent Runcie Michael um, has, has provided all the information that he has access to, to the commission, hopefully. We will see this commission report, and, and I'm really hoping that we can extrapolate more nuances from the report so that parents can really understand exactly what's going to go before yeah. the legislature. Yeah. That has to be self-executed through the legislature yeah. and funded, by the way. By the way, and the point that you make, 67. I mean, that, that's almost unbelievable. Yeah. Al Capone didn't have that many contacts, you know, mm -hmm. with, uh, no, with the police. It, it's it's awful. It's utterly appalling. Uh, I would like to make note that the Sun Sentinel also reports today that many of the parents of the victims and the wounded uh, uh, at Marjorie Stoneman of us met with the FBI this week, and the FBI, the deputy director, apologized directly to them. Thank goodness. I think Absolutely. it was about time. For Absolutely. And the fact that we have smart, serious, strong people on MSD who were affected by this yes. means this is not going to be whitewashed. Thank you all for being here today. Great. Good roundtable. Thank you.